Well, hello. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and I want to thank you for inviting me in to have a conversation with you about the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership. I know that we're not physically in the same room. I know that we're not sitting at a table breaking bread together, discussing the challenges that you face and the opportunities that your law firm faces over the next three to five years. But I do know that you are leading an enterprise, a law firm that is striving to achieve new heights each and every day, each and every week, month, and year. And I know that that can take a tremendous toll on you individually as a leader. This toll can come in the form of your health, it can come in the form of your family life, it can come in the form of putting pressure on you from a spiritual perspective. And although we don't specifically talk about those issues here today, the way that you handle these pressures on you are, is incredibly important to you overall and your tenure as the leader of this law firm. The more effective you can be at handling the growth and the challenges that face you as a leader, the better your life will become, the more rich the experience will be for you, and the better you'll be able to enjoy the lifestyle that you've created along with the success that you're creating at work. So as we get started down the path to discussing the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership, there are two questions that are entering your mind right now. Those two questions are, who is this guy and why am I listening to him? Well, I'll answer those two questions for you very directly. As I stated, my name is Dave Lorenzo and I'm the owner and founder of two consulting companies, one focused specifically on business strategy for law firms. And I have worked over the past 24 years with leaders in Fortune 100 organizations, and then for the last seven and a half years, leaders of law firms. So from the Fortune 100 to the AmLaw 100, I've worked with leaders in your specific industry, as well as leaders of successful multi-billion, with a B, dollar businesses. That's not the reason why I believe you should be listening to me today. And you shouldn't be listening to me today because I'm also the author of two best-selling books. You shouldn't be listening to me today because of the experience that I have in your industry, disrupting your industry from a business strategy standpoint to help law firms large and small grow at an exponential pace. That's not the reason why you should be listening to me. And you shouldn't be listening to me because I have two master's degrees and I graduated at the top of my class in a master's program from Columbia University. Those things are fantastic, but they're not the reasons why you should be listening to me today. The reason I believe you should listen to me starts from a day when I had a very big report due to a consulting client in New York City. This was a pharmaceutical client, Fortune 20 firm at the time, and I was due to deliver results to the CEO of that company based on a study my, my firm had been conducting over a period of years. I was due to deliver results in approximately two weeks' time. The CEO's office called me. They said he was going to be out of town on the date of delivery. Could I go over personally and give him an executive summary right then and there immediately? Well... I had plans to go to lunch with my wife, and I completely jettisoned those plans, called my wife, told her I couldn't make it, 
and I put my folder under my arm with my information in it, and I headed out the office door. It was a crisp December day down the street, 6th Avenue, New York City, and I got to the corner of 6th Avenue and 43rd Street. I stepped into the crosswalk with 39 other people. All of those people successfully avoided the taxi cab that had run the red light. I did not. The next thing I remember was being wheeled on a gurney down the hallway of St. Vincent's Hospital, looking up at ceiling tiles, unable to move my body from my armpits down, and I was thinking to myself, if I had only kept my promise to myself that I was going to go to lunch with my wife that day, if I had only put my priorities in order, I would have been sitting having lunch with my wife, probably dealing with a client's demands that were, in my mind, unreasonable later on. However, I would have been true to myself. What I learned that day led me to create my own consulting practice, which then led me to this conversation that I'm having with you. Because the demands placed on me as the managing partner of a consulting business that did $250 million a year in annual revenue were so extreme that it, it, it forced me, it forced me to adjust my priorities so that they were no longer in line with my values and my personal beliefs. I never did anything that was illegal, immoral, or unethical, but my priorities were not in line with what I believed as a person, as a husband, and now as a father. So I created my own company, and that's the basis from which I do everything and my business has become far richer and has enabled me to live the lifestyle I deserve. Now, this is what I want for you. And that's why the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership are completely appropriate because they will enable you to grow your firm at a rapid pace while still being true to who you are. Now, I don't want you to take away from that story that I have a disregard for customer service, for client service, for the service to the people who help me put food on my table every day. Those folks still come first in my work life. And I do have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders of my firm to produce the most profit I possibly can. I've just learned how to prioritize life and to leverage the strengths that I have by using the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership so that I can do all of those things and still be true to my personal values. Now, there are three specific forces that make this conversation that we're having today an absolute imperative for you. Those three forces are external forces that are weighing on you right now and you may not even realize it. The first is a social force, and that, for that force is putting intense pressure on you, and it's felt by everyone in your industry. You are not alone as a law firm leader. There are, if the, in the top 100 law firms in the United States today, there are 100 people at the top of those organizations feeling the pressure that you feel. So you may be alone in your firm, but you're not alone in the world. And you're certainly not alone in a leadership role. You're atop the organization, but you are no means, by no means, isolated. So that social force putting pressure on you is one of the things that makes this the right time 
for the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership. The second force is a market force. And that market force is that there are new firms entering the practice area where you are operating today, right now. We've seen this, particularly in a post-2008 world, where firms that only did litigation have suddenly acquired practice groups that handle transactional matters. Firms that never did bankruptcy suddenly went into the bankruptcy area because of the opportunity they saw to grow their business. Firms that never would hire consumer practice lawyers, for example, in trust and estates, family law, or even white-collar criminal defense have suddenly gotten into these practice areas because of the need for more revenue and ultimately the need for significant growth and profit that wasn't coming from the growth areas of the past. So the market forces putting external pressure on you right now are also the reason why the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership are critically important. Finally, the economic forces that we all face each and every single day are faced by you tenfold. Your fees are under pressure from your clients constantly. They are, your general counsel clients are constantly leveraging your managing shareholders, the people leading your trial teams, the people who are responsible for the very relationships that help you each and every single day deliver bottom line results. Those people are under pressure from their general counsel to do more with less so that they can spend less dollars. You're constantly under pressure to provide alternative billing methodologies. And although we don't talk about alternative billing methodologies under the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership, that subject alone is putting tremendous pressure on you as a law firm leader. The war for talent has finally reached law firms. Used to be each law firm would have its pick of graduates from top tier law schools. These days, fewer and fewer intellectuals are going to law school because of the glut of graduates that have flooded the market, and now they have no place to go. You would think that this competitive force would produce fantastic candidates, but the issue really becomes the fantastic candidates now have their pick because of the nature of the graduate, graduating class from each law school every year. While the bulk of students graduating has become greater over the last 10 years, the quality has become very, very thin. Finally, conventional business has changed the model with which they engage lawyers. In very highly specialized practice areas, the lawyers are still in the driver's seat and they can command very high fees. But in conventional practices, businesses are putting enormous pressure, economic pressure, on law firms now. And businesses have the upper hand in determining with whom they work because of the nature of the economic forces they're facing. So these three forces, in and of themselves, the social force facing you personally, the market forces facing the practice of law, and the economic forces facing all businesses are driving pressure on you up constantly, and they're creating an environment which makes it difficult to grow a law firm, difficult to grow a business. And let's face it, 
they don't talk about leadership in business school at all. They don't talk about how you become a great leader in business school, and they don't talk about business at all in law school. So leadership is a topic that is not covered anywhere, but we're going to talk about it in our conversation today. So without further ado, let's get started talking about the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership. I'm going to give you a brief overview of each of the 10, and then I'm going to invite you to have a direct conversation with me about how these disciplines and your improvement in each of these disciplines can benefit you and benefit your firm by allowing you and your firm to grow at an exponential pace. You will grow holistically as a leader, and your firm will grow as a result of that. And if you'd like to have this conversation with me, my direct telephone number is 888-444-5150. 888-444-5150. Four 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 fifty one fifty. my direct line right to my office. Discipline number one is the discipline of self-awareness. As a leader, you must be acutely aware of your strengths. Now, what is a strength? A strength is an area in which you have a unique ability. You were probably born with it, and you probably don't even realize that it's a strength for you. It's something that comes absolutely effortlessly to you. It's something that you do without giving it a second thought, and others look at you and remark at how well you do, some, you do that particular thing. You can spend time developing this strength, and you spend your energy utilizing this strength, and it turns out that you become not incrementally better, but exponentially better. Knowing your strengths and leveraging them is one of the killer solutions to becoming a more effective leader. The converse to that are your weaknesses. You must know what your weaknesses are, but you should not invest any time, any time, in trying to bolster your weaknesses. And here's the reason why. If you try to fix your weaknesses, you spend any time trying to do that, the ultimate result will only be mediocrity. If you spend any time trying to fix your weaknesses, the ultimate result will only be mediocrity. The reason is because you do not have the innate, the innate ability to succeed in that area at a world-class level. The struggle to get to a mediocre place will only serve to frustrate you, and it will only elongate the amount of time you invest in that. The example that I'll give you is, I can give you two specific examples. It's chemistry in my personal life. I had to take chemistry two times in high school. It took me an enormous amount of time just to get to the point where I went to high school in New York State. It took me an enormous amount of time just to get to the point where I could pass a regent's examination, the state examination in chemistry. Had I invested that time in an area of personal strength for me, perhaps public speaking or perhaps writing, I would have accelerated my progress in the areas of strength far more rapidly and to a much greater level than just struggling to get to mediocrity in chemistry. The other example I'll give you is a golfer who is phenomenal 
at hitting balls a long distance, yet he struggles putting. The golfer who, hit, who is phenomenal at hitting balls long distance should spend the majority of his time even, even further practicing driving the ball as far as he possibly can and then working on getting to the green as quickly as he possibly can and making the putts that he has to make the shortest possible putts so that he doesn't have to constantly practice 20-foot putts. Work on getting on the green as close to the hole as possible rather than improving your putting from 20 feet out. All right. Self-awareness and being aware of your strengths and weaknesses and knowing what strengths you should leverage and what weaknesses you should work around are critically important. And that's the key to weaknesses. If you know you have an area of personal weakness, and the term weakness is a very sharp term that offends a lot of people. We could call them non-strengths if you'd like, but I prefer direct communication. What you should do is you should hire an executive team around you or a management committee around you. You should appoint people or have appointed people on the management committee around you who are supportive in areas where you're weak. If you're not a strong person from a financial perspective, have your ha hire a CFO who is greatly skilled and can review the financials with you on a regular basis so that you always know what you're talking about and have the financials broken down in a way that makes sense to you. If you're not skilled from a day-to-day -day operations standpoint, hire a chief operating officer for your law firm who is phenomenally skilled and has a huge amount of experience in the area of operations. If you are a transactional attorney and you've ascended to the managing partner role in your law firm, make sure that the litigation person on the membership committee or the litigation people on the membership committee, on the management committee, I'm sorry, are phenomenally valuable and have great personal relationships with you so that they can alert you to the things that are really important, the things that are critical in the day-to-day -day operations of your litigation department. Same thing holds true if you're a litigator and you need to understand the client relationship value of those transactional partners. You need to have someone on the team who's phenomenally in tune with what makes great relationships from a transactional law perspective. All right. Number two in the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership is talent selection and management. We've discussed this initially in the weakness fixing area, but I want to talk to you about leverage and how you can maintain maximum leverage in your talent selection and management. Now, the biggest area of leverage that you have in a law firm or any professional services practice is hiring fantastic people and having them develop and deepen their relationships with their clients. Your selection process has to be rigorous enough, not only in the area of the practice of law that these people are being hired to serve, it also has to be rigorous from the relationship development standpoint. Your talent selection practice must be rigorous from a relationship development standpoint, as well as from a legal proficiency standpoint. Now, I'm not saying that every attorney has to be a business development powerhouse. Every attorney is never go not going to be a rainmaker. You're never going to find that. 
but every attorney needs to be able to establish, maintain, and deepen relationships with existing clients. That's where exponential growth comes from in a law firm. So from a talent selection standpoint, you need to hire for relationship development first and legal acumen a very, very close second. So hire the best person you possibly can from another firm who also has a book of business. And it doesn't have to be, again, a Rainmaker's book of business. It should be a book of business that is impressive enough that he's had tenured clients for five years or longer, just as an example. The second element of talent selection and management is succession planning. We manage our businesses, we manage our firms on a day-to-day -day basis. But you must manage your law firm so that you have a succession plan in place for every leader in every area. You should never wonder where the next leader is going to come from in any practice area. You should have that person picked out and be grooming them already, even if the leader is not destined to retire or destined to leave the firm for the next five years. The reason being, things happen. Things happen, and you need to have a succession plan in place. And the succession plan must include what the number two person needs to do to get ready to succeed the leader. And what happens if the leader stays beyond the succession period? What will you do with that number two person? Will you move them into another practice group? Will you create another opportunity for them in five years? You also have to have a succession plan in place to move people up through the partner track. This is critically important. But all the plans that I've seen in all the big law firms are based upon capability at doing legal work not based upon leadership capability. It's a huge shortcoming. So using these 10 disciplines of law firm leadership as a succession planning tool can be in invaluable for you as you have performance review discussions. Each performance review discussion should contain a discussion about how that person can improve from an individual capability Okay, so how they can improve their book of business, how they can improve their relationships with their clients to drive more revenue into the firm. And it should also include a succession planning discussion. What is the logical next step for that person within your law firm? The best available person for each role should be elevated into each role regardless of tenure, regardless of seniority, regardless of internal politics. And the way that you determine the best available person is by using transparent metrics that are reviewed by everyone in the law firm. Everyone in the law firm should know who the top producer is in every practice area. Everyone in the law firm should know who the number two producer is in every practice area. And everyone in the law firm should know who the bottom producers are in every practice area. And you should develop these metrics and they should be transparent and readily accessible to everyone. And promotion should be based upon the value the person delivers to their clients and to the law firm and not upon internal politics. Internal politics as it relates to the promotion of someone in a law firm is a killer. That concludes the talent selection 
and management portion of our 10 disciplines. And that was discipline number two. Discipline number three is communication. Communication within your law firm must be direct, it must be accurate, and it must be frequent. Communication from you personally must be direct, must be accurate, and it must be frequent. People in your law firm may be prone to exaggeration, but you can never exaggerate. You must be accurate when you talk about business results. You must be accurate when you talk about behavior. And you must be accurate when you talk about client relationships. You must communicate with your people in your law firm, both partners and associates and staff people, on a frequent basis. Most leaders communicate too infrequently. Direct communication, management by walking around or by visiting your offices is highly recommended, but direct communication using today's technology via video, via email, all company, all law firm newsletters, and via webinars or they have Google Hangouts or Skype now, where people can ask you questions and you can do all company meetings or practice group meetings that way, the more frequently you communicate with your firm, the more respect you will earn from the people who work within the law firm. The more directly you answer their questions, you discuss their concerns, you address issues or rumors, the more directly you do that, the greater the level of respect they will have for you and the faster they will follow you into battle. The language you use within your law firm, among your peer group, management committee members, among the people who work for you, among the people who look up to you, and among the people with whom you depend for your very living, your clients, the language you use is critically important. There is no room for informal language in the workplace, even with people with whom you think you are very, very close. The language you use to describe your relationships, the language you use to describe your financial reports, the language you use when you discuss sensitive issues, the language you use to comfort people, all those opportunities are opportunities for you to strengthen relationships through the use of language as opposed to weaken relationships, weakening relationships through the use of language. There are no neutral interactions and your language will either strengthen or weaken your relationships, so choose your words carefully. Communication is the cornerstone of any relationship. Do not, do not say anything you would not broadcast, you would not want broadcast on the six o'clock news in your hometown being viewed by your parents. Every statement you utter is perceived by someone as being that important. Every single statement. So the language you choose is critical. Communication is essential. It's an essential discipline to the success of a law firm leader. Discipline number four is vision. You must be able to see the outcome and reverse engineer the process by which your law firm will get there. 
Now, if you are having a difficult time seeing the potential outcome of any situation, you need to get people involved in the situation who can provide you with data, with experience, with practical knowledge that will help you see the potential outcome and then work backwards planning the steps to help you get there. So if you're thinking of entering a specific practice area, what you need to do is you need to find someone who's worked in that practice area, either a consultant or someone who is in your firm who's worked in that practice area, and ask them what the roadblocks were. Ask them what the hindrances were. Ask them what made where they were working successful in that practice area. And then you create the steps to get you to the outcome that you desire based upon those conversations, based upon the data that you've collected. You need to approach things like a scientist. And you start with a vision, you create a hypothesis, you then test the hypothesis and create steps to, to provide practical application to lead you to make your vision a reality. You have to go to the place of positive outcome mentally. If you want to take your $5 million a year law firm to becoming a $50 million a year law firm or take your $300 million a year law firm to becoming a $1.6 billion a year law firm, you need to first create that $1.6 billion a year law firm in your mind, write down the path, the, the path that you think it will take to get you there, constantly test that path with people who've actually been there or with people who've built similar types of organizations, and then fill in the steps necessary to help you get there. But if you don't go there first in your mind, you will never be able to take everyone else with you. Discipline number five is operational excellence through accountability. Now, this is the exact type of thing they don't teach you in business school or in law school. You should never, ever tolerate mediocrity or incompetence in performance. So in your law firm, there should not be any incompetent or mediocre lawyers. If there are, firing them will prove to be addition by subtraction. Each and every single year that you have strong performance metrics in place, you should at minimum lop off the bottom 10% of performers. Now, I'm not saying the bottom 10% of billers. I'm not saying the bottom 10% of business developers. I'm not saying the bottom 10% based on results. I'm saying the bottom 10% based on weighted metrics that you use, which should certainly include those three areas. So business results, billing, and business development should be three metrics that should be included, and people in the bottom 10% should be liberated to pursue other opportunities. As your law firm grows, you will not want mediocrity, and you should never, ever want incompetence in your law firm. Never, ever enter a practice area unless you can be number one in your market in that practice area within a five-year period. Don't do it. If you are going to commit to entering a new practice area, you need to commit to being the best in that practice area. Just by being in that area, practice area, and the incremental revenue you'll get, the time, money, energy spent managing that practice area that is only medi mediocre will be a drain on your law firm. You should force people to take business results personally. Now, I know 
that the story that I began this conversation with you with tends to lead itself to believe that I want you to be lounging around your living room, bouncing your kids on your knee, spending your time on the beach, smoking cigars and drinking brandy all day. And that's fine. I do want that for you. But I also want you to be fulfilled by the work that you do. And that comes from taking the work that you do personally. The saying, it's business, it's not personal, is the biggest lie ever perpetrated on people in business. All business is personal, and people who are successful at business take it personally each and every single day. You don't need to take it home with you, but you need to take it personally, and your people should be encouraged to take it personally too, because as a law firm leader, you're in the relationship business. Your partners, your associates, they're in the relationship business. If their clients are successful, they're successful, so they should take their client's success personally. If your partners are successful, you are successful, you should take their success personally. If your paralegals are successful, your firm is successful, so you should take their success personally. Each and every single individual should be invested in the success of each and every other individual in your law firm. And if you have people in your firm who aren't invested in the success of one another and their clients, they should be invited to pursue other opportunities. All right. Discipline number six, financial acumen. We spend weeks working with our clients on sharpening their financial acumen. I am going to do this no justice in the two minutes that I'm going to spend covering it here. But the best advice that I can give you from a financial acumen perspective is you need to have a daily dashboard that you look at that will help you understand what you need to do to win today. What do you need to do to win today? There's a daily dashboard that you should look at that should show you what you did yesterday and that, should, that will show you what you need to do today. You should have numbers that you need to shoot for each and every day, whether, whether it's billable hours numbers, business development numbers, and technology allows you to be able to track that if you're holding your people accountable for doing so. You should also have a weekly review where you review whether or not you quote-unquote won this week or didn't, whether you achieved your goals for the week or didn't, and you should have a plan in place for how you're going to achieve your goals next week. And this weekly review could be with your, with your top practice group leaders. It could be with your management committee. And it should only take about 30 minutes. It's not investing a significant amount of time. It's simply looking at your weekly snapshot of five or six metrics, determining how well you did this week and determining how well you need to do next week in order to achieve your monthly goals. Then you have a monthly recap where you sit down with those same people and maybe a broader audience and you report out on the numbers last month and report what you need to do next month in order to help you get closer to your annual goals. And then one half day every quarter, you sit down with the key leaders in your organization and you do a recap of your previous quarter and you forecast what you need to do and then create an action plan for what you need to do for the following quarter. Notice the frequency of this interaction with your financials. Daily dashboard, weekly review, monthly recap, quarterly plan. The most time you invest is in your quarterly plan, which is four hours. 
The monthly recap takes about 90 minutes. The weekly review takes 30 minutes and reviewing your personal daily dashboard, each of your leaders reviewing their personal daily dashboards takes no more than 10 minutes each and every single day. This is how you manage your financials. Your financials should be both backward looking and forward looking and they should help you measure the results you've already achieved and help you achieve your goals in the future. If you don't have these metrics in place that allow you to do this, you're not running your business effectively as a leader. As a law firm leader, you owe it to yourself to have the daily dashboard, the weekly review, the monthly recap, and the quarterly plan. Most law firms do an annual budget and then they sit down once a month, maybe at the most, uh, or more likely twice a year, and review their financials, and they send out a P&L statement to all the partners and allow, allow them to just interpret it at will. You're doing yourself a disservice by doing that. You'll never have the financial success you deserve if that's the way you treat your financials. Discipline number seven, external orientation. This is something that I see law firm leaders struggle with on a regular basis. You must lose your ego. Once you ascend to being the leader of a law firm, you are not a king. You're not a president. You're not even the leader of a Girl Scout troop. You become the person who has to make others successful. The leader of a law firm, the leader of a professional services firm, the leader of a, of a group of peers, if you will, is someone who has to enable the success of others, not only to earn their respect, but for the good and the benefit of the law firm from a financial perspective. If you enable the success of others, you will become someone who has not only earned the respect of their, of their subordinates, of their peers, but you will be someone that they will follow into battle regardless of the circumstances. So the external orientation comes from putting your client's best interests first, putting your partner's best interests first, and then putting your, your best interests third, or perhaps, perhaps even fourth when it comes to your business. And when I say fourth when it comes to your business, there are some law firms out there that are so entrenched in the community that clients come first to the CEO, to the, to the person who's the managing partner of the law firm. Clients come first, then the partners and the associates and the, uh, the staff in the law firm come second, the community comes third, and then the benefits of the managing partner come fourth. If you have that type of orientation, if you have that type of external orientation, you will not only be successful, but you will be able to command the army of troops that work for you through the most dire of circumstances. The final point about external orientation is that you must face your fear, your greatest fear, each and every single day. So if you're concerned that you have a vulnerability in an area in your law firm, you must attack that vulnerability. You must lean into that fear. If you have a personal fear that is holding you back from achieving your goals, from a business perspective, you must lean into it. You must attack it. I've worked with leaders of law firms who were deathly afraid of public speaking, yet they had a great way with people. They were phenomenal leaders, yet they could not, could not 
think about getting up in front of a group in their law firm, even if it was just 10 people, and giving a prolonged speech. They would take questions and answers, and they'd be comfortable doing that, but giving a speech that was 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour was paralyzing for them. The best thing they can do is throw themselves in an environment where they have to public speak on a regular basis and not try and become better at public speaking. I'm not talking about weakness fixing. I'm talking about desensitizing themselves to the thing they feared the most. And this is important because you don't have to be able to fix a weakness in order to allay a fear. So facing the fear, your greatest fear, on a regular basis is also a critical component of external orientation. Number eight, <clears throat> excuse me, discipline number eight in the 10 disciplines of law firm leadership is decision making. You have to be able to make good decision, decisions quickly. Now, as a lawyer, you're trained to look for facts, and you have an advantage in the area of decision-making. Just as they didn't teach you certain things in law school, this is one of the things they taught you in law school. It's very, very helpful when it comes to leadership. There are five questions that I have leaders of any business ask themselves, particularly leaders of law firms. Question number one, when, we're, when we make this decision, the decision we make has to be legal, moral, and ethical. So, is this decision legal, moral, and ethical under any circumstances, using any test, being, being exposed in any light? Question number two, have we gathered enough facts to make an accurate decision? What don't we know is another way of asking that question. Question number three, who will this decision impact? Who will this decision impact? What is the depth of the impact? And what is the greatest amount of exposure this decision will create? Question number four, can this be done better or can it be done faster or both? And if it can be done better or if it can be done faster, how? Question number five, have I removed all the emotion from this decision-making process? Have I separated the emotion from the facts of the decision? And have I had someone play devil's advocate? Those five questions help crystallize your decision-making as a law firm leader. They will help you make decisions re with regard to everything from where your headquarters should be located to whether or not you should hire that big rainmaker, to how you should handle the latest allegations of harassment by a partner in your firm. Number nine, the ninth discipline of law firm leadership is personal association. You are the sum of the people with whom you associate. So if you spend your free time hanging around with folks who are intellectually stimulating, who challenge your thinking, who push your personal opinions in the political arena as well as in the business and social arena, you will become a person who takes on similar qualities. If you associate yourself with people who run multi-million dollar businesses, with people who run billion dollar businesses, you will become 
in part similar to them. You are the sum of the people with whom you associate. I'm not telling you to get rid of your childhood friends. I'm not telling you to stop talking to members of your family who just cannot get out of their own way. What I am telling you is to invest your time wisely in people with whom you share common goals, common purposes, and with whom you, and people who you admire. Those are the people you should spend your time with. We tend, human beings as a whole, tend to spend time with people who are just like us. You need to force yourself to spend time with people who have qualities that will help elevate you to the next level in every aspect of your life. The tenth discipline in this process, the ten disciplines of law firm leadership, the tenth discipline is the discipline of continuous improvement. You must strive to personally improve each and every single year. You must strive to help your law firm improve each and every single year. And the rule that I place on that, the measurement I use with my clients, is the rule of 10%. You should spend 10% of your time and 10% of your income on growth and development for yourself and for your law firm. Think about that. If you're a law firm that does $50 million a year, you should be spending $5 million a year, $5 million a year on development of the individuals with whom you work. That seems like a phenomenal amount of money, but the return on that investment is exponential, not incremental. If you spent, let's say your income was $1 million a year and you spent $100,000 on personal growth and development, how much of that would you need to put into practice to achieve a 100% return on your investment? Very little, very little, because the skills, the knowledge, the confidence that would come from the return on that investment would catapult you toward a phenomenal level of success. That investment will be returned to you. If you invested in your law firm, it will be returned to you tenfold in short order. It could be a competitive advantage for you personally and for your law firm as a whole. Investing in your people, your best people, is like investing in a high return equity. It's like investing in the stock market in a stock that cannot fail. It is a phenomenal investment that will deliver a return for you in the long term. So let me recap these 10 for you. Number one is self-awareness, knowing your strengths, finding ways to work around your weaknesses. Number two is talent selection and management, maximizing your leverage from your most important asset, your people. Number three is communication, direct, accurate, and frequent communication. Number four is vision. You must see the outcome and reverse engineer the process of getting there. Number five, operational excellence through accountability. Never tolerating mediocrity. Always strive to be the best in each practice area. And removing the bottom 10% of all performers every year based on a rigorous evaluation process. Number six, financial acumen. Daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly reviews and planning that don't take up a lot of time but have dashboards created to help you understand where you're going and how you're going to get there. 
Number seven, external orientation. Lose your ego and help engage and enable, help engage your partners, engage your clients, and enable the success of your partners, your associates, your staff, and your clients, placing yourself in the third position in that equation. External orientation, generating success for your clients, success for your partners, your associates, and your staff, and then finally, success for you. Number eight, decision-making. Removing the emotion from decisions, making good decisions quickly, understanding their impact, and minimizing the negative impact of your decisions as much as possible. Number nine, personal association. Associate with people who elevate you and take you to the next level in your business thinking and acumen. And number 10, striving for continuous improvement by investing in your own personal improvement and investing in the improvement of each and every individual in your law firm. As you review these 10 disciplines of law firm leadership, I encourage you to circle two or three of them in your notes and focus on just two or three of them over the course of the next six to 12 months. And if you'd like to accelerate your improvement in each of these areas, I can work with you either in a one-on-one -on -one basis or enroll you into a peer group that I will lead that will help you phenomenally grow your leadership acumen, your law firm, and provide you with that 10 times return on investment we talk about when we talk about leveraging your continuous improvement process. What you need to do is take the next step and sit down with me in person and discuss how you can leverage these 10 disciplines of law firm leadership to make your law firm phenomenally more successful and to help you grow into a leader that will not only make a great living, but also live a great life. Your role as a leader in your law firm should not only enable the growth of everyone around you, should not only enrich your life and the lives of your partners, your associates, your staff people, and your community, it should also allow you to live the lifestyle you deserve. And focusing, drilling down on each of these 10 disciplines in a focused way and having a focused conversation about each of these disciplines with someone who's removed from the process of the day-to-day -day activity and politics of your law firm is a phenomenal value. I encourage you to reach out to me right now to sit down and have that discussion. 888-444-5150. 888-444-5150. That's a direct line to the phone that sits atop my desk. You will be calling me. If I am not available, you will be leaving a message directly from me, and I will be the only one to hear that message. I look forward to sitting down and having this conversation with you live and in person. My name is Dave Lorenzo. I thank you for inviting me in to be with you today, and I look forward to speaking with you in the future. I wish you the best of success and happiness in your law firm and in your life. If you need to reach me, you can call 888-444-5150. Until we speak again, I hope that you make a great living and live a great life.